Welcome to the Antioch Podcast. We're a justice-minded Christian church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the word of Christ dwell in you fully and give you peace. As we move from gathering to listening, our scripture reading today is from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Marsha. Hey, kids. Good to see you all today. My name's Pete, and uh, really glad that you're with us. Uh, if you happen to see my wife, Jen, today, you'll want to wish her a happy anniversary and congratulate her on staying married to me for 19 years. So uh, yesterday, we celebrated by climbing up Broken Top, which uh, it's winter up there. I don't recommend it. Uh, we actually got our Christmas tree, because might as well, but uh, we had a great time. Uh, not many girls dream of marrying a pastor, and Jen is no different, so, <clears throat> but she just couldn't resist, and uh, this morning we are entering into what we're calling the season of harvest, and this will take us right up until Advent in December. And during these 10 weeks, as we often do uh, during the fall, we're going to be in a vision series where we're trying to clarify and refocus around the unique calling that God has given us as a church. And so if you were here a year ago, you may remember our vision series was the work of the people, where we walked through the various elements of our Sunday service and tried to understand why we do things the way we do them here on Sundays. This year, our series is the whole gospel, a both and faith in an either or world. And I can't tell you how excited I am uh, to do this together. Um, this series has been on the calendar for over a year, but no exaggeration, um, it has been 20 years in the making. I have been thinking about this subject uh, since 2004, when I was a 24-year-old college pastor at a rural megachurch in the valley. And I can't wait to dive in and see how God might use this series to form our hearts and minds into Christ in new and lasting ways. But before we get to that, um, I want to take a minute and give you an update 
on our plans with our building and property here at Sixth and Clay. Uh, A couple months ago, if you remember, we announced that after several years of praying and trying to figure out whether this place was going to be our starter home or our forever home, um, God has clearly uh, made the way for us to uh, start putting down roots and make this our forever home. And uh, we shared with you in July that um, that's kind of the plan. What we also shared is that we have no idea exactly what that's gonna look like or how we're gonna do it. Or in other words, we have no plans and we have no money. Um, (laughs) So whatever we do, we're going to do together as a congregation. Um, Well, the update is for the last couple months, we've been working behind the scenes to find the right partner um, that would be somebody from the world of building and development and architecture who could kind of serve as a consultant and as a guide through this process. And I'm excited to share this morning that we found our guy. Um, Starting this week, we're gonna be working with a local architect by the name of Alex Collins and his firm, Blue 40. And um, we met Alex through Justin Nelson, who's a uh, high-end furniture designer here in our congregation. The two of them have collaborated on a bunch of really cool projects. And as I've gotten to know Alex over the last few months and see the kind of work that he does, um, I just feel like he is a really great fit for where we're at and what we're trying to do. So he's a local guy. He's based here in Bend. He went to architecture school at the University of Oregon, but other than that, I like him. Um, And whether you know it or not, you may have seen some of his work around town. He did the design for the Hook and Plow, the brand new restaurant in the Hickson building over on Century. And prior to that, before going out on his own, he was the lead architect on Caldera High School, Um, which if you've been inside Caldera, it is such a beautiful and smart building. Um, and you see Alex's passion for designs that gather communities in spaces that integrate the indoors and the outdoors, utilizing the best building practices and materials um, when it comes to stewarding um, God's creation, and so I am so excited to work with him. Um, So here's the plan. This fall, over the next couple months, we're gonna start dreaming together as a church. Um, Alex is gonna kinda help us get organized and we're gonna create some opportunities for you um, to get involved in this process. We really do want to do this together and so um, we're gonna create some surveys and some focus groups. We're gonna have some family meetings where we can pray and discuss and discern together and uh, try to figure out how God might be leading us forward. Um, And so we are excited to do this together as a community. Um, In the meantime, let me remind you quickly of some of the prompts that we're using to sort of shape our prayers when it comes to how we would steward this building and property. Again, we don't have plans. We don't know exactly um, what it's going to look like. But here's what we see when we dream about what this place could be. Six sentences. We see a place of worship where Christ is proclaimed by generations to come and his grace is received through word and water, bread and wine. We see a place of peace for our neighborhood, deeply embedded in our local community, serving as a hub of blessing to our city. We see a place of justice for the poor, 
where orphans and widows, migrants and refugees are welcomed and served in Jesus' name. We see a place of community where people of all ages, classes, and colors are formed into a vibrant and eclectic expression of the family of God. We see a place of beauty where the image of our creator is celebrated through creative goodness, artistic excellence, and awe-inspiring architecture. And we see a place of garden-like flourishing for all of creation where plants and animals, earth and environment are cultivated and cared for. So these six words, worship, peace, justice, community, beauty, and flourishing, we want these to shape our prayers and our vision together. So um, again, here's what I want from you. First of all, I want you to pray, but for real, right? Not just say you will, because that's what we do, but actually pray. Um, Whenever you think of our church over the next several weeks, just uh, quickly ask God, for his heart and his mind and his leading. Um, Number two, I want you to participate in the process. Whether you've been part of Antioch from the very beginning or you're just new here, we want to invite the whole community um, when it comes to submitting ideas and and being part of the conversations that we're going to have. And number three, I want you to plan on giving. Um, whatever we do, we, we're going to do together, and it's going to take all of us. So we have a building fund that's open, and if you're really itching to give to that now, you can. But I don't really want you to give just yet. Uh, I don't want you to just, you know, drop 50 bucks in and feel like you did your part. Uh, I want you to start thinking about and planning for how you're going to give the biggest gift that you've ever given. Because um, that's what it's going to take for us to do this together. So, sound good? All right, that's the building update. Let's get into the whole gospel. The passage that Marcia read for us from Colossians 1 has served as really a grounding text for our church over the last several years. Um, Our vision statement is the reconciliation of all things, and this passage is where that phrase comes from. Hopefully, if you've been around here for a while, um, this is a passage you've become pretty familiar with, specifically verses 19 and 20, which read, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We've come back to this passage time and time again over the last few years, and we'll keep coming back to it, because not only does it contain the vision statement for our church, but it also contains a beautiful and compelling summary of the Christian gospel. Uh, which is that through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus has saved us, and he's saving the world. He's unleashed the reconciling power of God into all of creation so that everything that's been torn apart by sin and infected with death is now being mended back together and healed by the love of God. As it's been said, the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus means that one day, everything sad will come untrue. 
because of who Jesus is and what he's done, God is making all things new, including you and I. And so this is what Paul is talking about when he summarizes the gospel with this phrase, the reconciliation of all things. The holistic repair of severed relationships with God, with each other, with ourselves, and the rest of creation. Now, for many of us, this is a much bigger view of the gospel than we thought. Um, if we came to faith in the white American evangelical church, then we're probably used to the idea that the gospel was how we could personally be saved and made right with God, but we may not have ever heard the idea that the gospel is also how God is saving and remaking the world. Um, and this is why Paul goes on and on about how Christ's death on the cross is about reconciling all things. In these five verses, he uses the words all things or everything six times. In Christ, all things were created. He is before all things. He holds all things together. He has supremacy over all things, and in him, all things are being reconciled. I don't know if he could be any more clear. So for the more quantitatively minded among us, we like to lay it out as a pie chart. How many things does Paul say God is reconciling? All things. That is the gospel. <clears throat> Which sounds great, but if you're anything like me, then that raises all kinds of questions, right? Like, what does that actually mean? And if that's actually true, then how would that change the way I think about God and myself and the world and even life itself? How can I reconcile the gospel that I first believed with this bigger, more expansive vision of the gospel? I wanna start by introducing you to a new shape. Uh, shapes were one of the first things we learned as little kids. Squares and circles and triangles but unless you've been around Antioch for a while or recently attended a new to Antioch dinner, I'm guessing you've never learned what this shape is called. It looks like a football or a lemon, but it's actually called a mandorla. A mandorla, which is Italian for almond. So you can remember it that way. Here's what I love about the mandorla. It's a shape that's created in a Venn diagram when two circles overlap. Or in other words, it's the new reality that emerges when two things that were separated come together. Which is why for thousands of years now, Christians have embraced the mandorla as a symbol for our faith. Because as followers of Jesus, we hold to a number of beliefs that require us to believe two things are true at the same time, right? So we worship a God who is both three and one. We follow a Jesus who is both fully divine and fully human. We seek a kingdom that is both already here and not yet, Okay? And so throughout the history of the church, Christian artists have actually used the mandorla to kind of capture some of these tensions. 
Look at the way Jesus has been depicted throughout uh, ancient Christian art. Fully human, yet fully divine. Son of God, yet son of man. Creator, yet become part of his creation. If you try to put Jesus just over here, he doesn't fit. If you put him over there, that doesn't work either. The real Jesus lives in the sacred overlap where heaven and earth meet. And so for me, this shape, as strange as that sounds, captures something about who Jesus is and what his kingdom is all about. And it's been incredibly helpful and clarifying for me trying to think about what does it mean to be the people of God living in the unique time and place in which we find ourselves. Because we also, as followers of Jesus, we live in two places at the same time. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and we are residents of central Oregon. Both those things are true. We are sinners and we are saints. We inhabit this world as visitors from the future, but our faith and identity were formed decisively in the past. And what that means is that very often faithful followers of Jesus find themselves not fitting nicely into any of the categories that society would put us in. We often feel pulled to the right or to the left, so to speak, towards the past or towards progress, but none of those cultural labels really fit. So I want to show you a way that I've come to think about this, and some of you have seen it before, but I, hope, I think it's super helpful when it comes to understanding not just the cultural moment in which we live, but the unique vision and mission that God has given our church. And so you, I'll start by saying you've probably noticed that there are really two major streams within Protestant Christianity in our church that have a whole lot in common, but they also have a lot of differences. And so you could say that on the left, we have a stream called liberalism. And by liberalism, I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about a biblical and theological lens. And then on the right, you have fundamentalism. Okay, so uh, I wanna just use this chart to show you a few examples of what I'm talking about and how these sort of two sides of Christianity in our country, um, though they have much in common, also differ from each other. And just caveat, this is um, a way oversimplification or overgeneralization of some of these dynamics. Of course, we're talking about a spectrum here, but I still think it's helpful um, to give us a paradigm to work with. So let's just run through these quickly. First, when it comes to their understanding of the Christian gospel, liberalism tends to focus on the gospel of Jesus, while fundamentalism tends to focus on the gospel about Jesus. Okay, I'm going to spend the entire sermon next week breaking this down in detail, but for now, I just what I mean is that the gospel of Jesus is the gospel that Jesus himself preached, which is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the gospel about Jesus is the gospel that Paul and the apostles preached, which is how by grace through faith we can be made right with God. And so both sides, liberalism and fundamentalism, use the word gospel, but 
you might notice that they often don't sound like they're talking about the same thing. Okay, next, when it comes to scripture, liberalism tends to emphasize the human authorship of the Bible, while fundamentalism tends to emphasize its divine authority. When it comes to their view of humanity, liberalism sees humans first as image bearers of God, and fundamentalism tends to see humans first as beloved sinners in need of salvation. When they talk about sin, liberals tend to see it as a societal problem, what's wrong with the world, and fundamentalists tend to talk about sin as an individual problem, what's wrong with me. When it comes to Jesus, and again, this is way oversimplified, but liberalism tends to focus on the life of Christ, his incarnation, his ethics, his teaching, while fundamentalism tends to focus on the death of Christ, his atoning sacrifice for our sins. Next, liberalism tends to emphasize the humanity of Jesus, the fact that he became one of us and lived among us and suffered with us, while uh, fundamentalism emphasizes the deity of Christ, the fact that he was the morally perfect son of God. And when it comes to the mission of the church, what we're all about, liberalism prioritizes the pursuit of social justice making sure everyone has everything they need, and fundamentalism prioritizes the work of evangelism, making sure everyone gets to hear about Jesus. So, that's the first seven examples. I've got seven more. Next slide. <laughs> and you have no idea how many I trimmed off of this just for today. I could go on and on. The primary concern that liberalism has when it comes to the world, the problem with the world, is that it's full of suffering. Fundamentalism is more concerned that the world is full of sin. When it comes to their surrounding culture, liberalism tends to embrace whatever it can within culture, while fundamentalism tends to be a little more skeptical and stands in opposition to culture. Next, if you are someone who's struggling with sin in a liberal environment, you are likely going to be received with a posture of grace, while in a fundamentalist environment, you'll more likely hear the truth about what God requires. When it comes to their priorities in the ministry of the church, liberalism prioritizes meeting people's physical needs, while fundamentalism is more interested in meeting people's spiritual needs. On the left, holiness looks like doing good, and on the right, it looks like being good. Um, when they talk about the kingdom of God, liberals tend to talk about it like it's something that's already here, and fundamentalists tend to talk about it like it's something that's still coming. And finally, if you had to have a patron saint in liberalism, it might be the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, or um, it, on the right, it might be Reverend Billy Graham. Uh, Dr. King, who gave his life to the black struggle for equality and liberation, and Reverend Graham, who spent his life preaching the gospel to millions of people all around the world. Okay, like I said, I could go on and on, but I hope you're starting to recognize these two streams. Um, and technically, they are part of the same family. We're all Christians. Um, but oftentimes there's very little family resemblance between the two. And I wonder if maybe you start to identify some of your own story within uh, this paradigm. 
Because I know that for me, the Christianity that I was most familiar with for most of my life really looked like the right side of the chart. Not that I was in some hardcore fundamentalist environment, but I know that um, that's the side of things that primarily shaped my faith in the first part of my life. And I know that's true for a lot of you as well, that you came to Jesus through the door on the right, so to speak. Um, And then... If you're anything like me, at some point, you started to feel like the Christianity you had received was good and true, but maybe not complete. Like maybe you were still missing something, and you started to feel like, man, maybe I've only got half the gospel here. Maybe the good news of Jesus is actually way bigger and way better than I ever could have imagined. I know a lot of us, that's been our story. Now, it's not everybody here's story. Maybe you came to Jesus through the door on the left, um, or maybe you're like, I have no idea what we're talking about. I just love Jesus. So (laughs) that's great. That's fine. Um, But here's what we're trying to do at Antioch. We're trying to embrace the whole gospel. We don't want to be liberal Christians or fundamentalist Christians. Because we don't think either one of those categories really captures who Jesus is and what his kingdom is all about. Like, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to choose? What if we didn't have to settle for just one half of the gospel or the other? What would it look like to be a church that's actually chasing after the whole gospel? as in a church that proclaims both the gospel of Jesus and the gospel about Jesus. A church that recognizes both the human authorship and the divine authority of the Bible. What if we saw humanity as both image bearers of God and dearly beloved sinners? What if we cared about both the societal and the individual aspects of sin? What if we preached both the life and death of Christ, both his humanity and his deity? What if we gave ourselves both to the work of social justice and the work of evangelism? What if we cared about sin and suffering? What if we were to be discerning with culture, learning how to both embrace and oppose when necessary? What if, like Jesus, we were full of both grace and truth? What if we laid down our lives to serve our neighbor's physical and spiritual needs? What if we were known for both doing good and being good? What if we believed the good news that the kingdom of God has already come and yet it is still coming? And what if we honored the legacies of folks like both Dr. King and Reverend Graham? Sounds like fun, huh? which isn't as crazy as it sounds. You know why? Because they were friends. (laughs) And they had some pretty major differences in their theology and in their approach to ministry, but they both knew that the other one loved Jesus and was doing his part to serve God. That's a little taste of what we're talking about when we say we want to be a church that's about the whole gospel. 
And we're going to talk about this more in the coming weeks. We're going to take a few of those elements from the chart and give some significant time to breaking down what that actually looks like. Um, Because it's important to understand that when we talk about being a both-and church in an either-or world, we're not talking about what you might call centrism. We're not talking about occupying a mushy middle that can't decide what it believes and doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. That's not what this is. When we talk about pursuing the whole gospel, we're talking about a clear, passionate, radical third way. In other words, if you know color theory, if you mix orange and blue, you should get a really ugly brown. (laughs) But for us, orange and blue make gold. So this isn't some mushy, moderate middle because Pete's an Enneagram 9 and can't make up his mind. (laughs) This is our way of trying to figure out how to be faithful to a king whose kingdom isn't from this world, but it is for this world. Because in the end, our hope isn't in a geometric shape. It's not in a vision statement. It's not in a chart. It's not in a slick philosophy of ministry. Our hope is in Jesus himself. He is the king who created all things, holds all things together, and is making all things new. And so, Antioch, my invitation to you this morning is would you ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes that you might see the glory of the real Jesus and the fullness of his gospel as he reconciles all things to himself, including you and me. Amen. Amen.